Street Overtime, we have a very special guest. His name is Jeremiah Searles. He's an offensive lineman for the Buffalo Bills. And this is going to be a little bit about football towards the end, but a lot about EDM. And if you're not familiar with that, that's electronic dance music. And Jeremiah, thanks for joining us on 60 Minute Overtime today. No problem. I appreciate you having me on. Well, we have to open with this. Thoughts on Super Bowl 53? Uh, it was all right. Um, I thought it was a good defensive battle. Uh, it was fun to watch that, especially with all the hype this year about what the offenses could be. But I think that there's no argument now that Tom Brady is probably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, which now being in the AFC East hurts my heart to say. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what, you've, what they've done there in New England is pretty much uh, unparalleled, unrivaled. So it was, it was fun to watch history happen. I agree. And also, can't rule out Bill Belichick, too. Probably. And, right, you know, right, New York right. market here, he's the best coach right. to ever coach the game, too. Halftime, halftime show is terrible. Yeah. Well, that's what we were we connected over. The halftime show, awful. If you had to give it a grade, what would you give it? F. <laughs> I mean, Adam Levine, Adam Levine was taking his shirt off like... It was the next like rap concert that you were looking for, and then he sang in his falsetto like she deserves love. I was just like, no, it's, it's just not. And then I've always decided that I think that rap concerts should never be held live. Why is that? They just don't sound good. Yeah. I, they just they don't. I mean, think about the Twenty One Savage halftime show uh, for the NBA. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> I, I Travis Scott. I thought he was terrible. I thought it should have been Big Boy. More Big Boy. I was hoping Andre 3000 was going to come out in the back and make it a cool thing. I mean, being in Atlanta, but right. I don't know. It just, it, it, I think the halftime shows are just haven't been great the last few years. Even JT's last year was eh. Yeah. You know, I was looking at the past performances, and I, cu- I don't even remember that performance, honestly. I was there. I was at the Super Bowl, like, and I was just kind of like, it was more impressive watching how fast they could tear it, like put things up and tear it down, than the actual Super Bowl show. That's a terrible sign. Oh, uh, yeah. When you're when you're just sitting there and you're like, okay, like when's the game start again? Yeah. Well, you had suggested we were we were going back and forth on Twitter during the Super Bowl halftime show, I believe. But you suggested that DJ Marshmallow would be a better alternative. Did you see that he liked our tweet? Oh yeah, so I'm actually I'm uh, I'm friends with uh, I'm friends with Marshmallow. He's one of my boys. Uh, we met back in 2016 at a concert that or a show that he had there in Buffalo, or in Minnesota. And we've stayed in touch. He was actually in Buffalo last week, last year, and I went and saw him when he was out there. And, and we chat. I mean, we're we're friends. So yeah, I threw that out there, hoping maybe he might see it. And he, he liked it. So yeah. I mean, after what he did, there was more hype on the Fortnite concert yeah I was, there was on the Super Bowl concert <laughs> did you see I mean there really was I know I know so for for those of you who are, who are unfamiliar with this Marshmallow did a live concert in virtual reality on the Fortnite gaming platform right did you did you do it I mean did you try it oh yeah I was there I was there I, you have to, it's one of those things that I, he's my favorite DJ he, his music I, I really like his music and so to see it, I mean, really, history made. I mean, the final numbers came out. There was 10 million people that viewed that performance. Wow. Granted, yes, it was live on a gaming platform, but, I mean, that's the future, right? I mean, uh, people got to experience a live concert. I mean, everything that says that I've read says that he did it live. He was there mixing live at wherever he was and was broadcasting it to the world. And people got to view that from the inside of their homes. Granted, if you want to see an amazing show, go see his show in real life. It's incredible. 
But, I mean, it was a cool thing to witness. It was a cool thing to see. And, I mean, that's incredible for him. I mean, the pioneer, to see where he's come just in 2016 from the DJ that I listened to on SoundCloud to the number one DJ in the world in a matter of about three years is awesome. Well, you know, that's an interesting concept because this, this whole thing about a virtual reality concert, I mean... For some people, that's like mind-boggling. Is that the future? Right. Like, are you going to go to a concert in your own house? You can't. I think that's that's the whole idea behind it all is these experiences of going to their shows. Yes, I will, I'm going to love it. I love going to those shows because the production and the music. But if you can't go to those shows because say you live in Lawrence, Kansas, and you're never going to have a marshmallow that's going to come throw a show in Lawrence, Kansas, or a Tiesto, or a Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, you can name whoever, like... But they're going to throw a live concert on a platform, on a stream that you can watch. Production value is high. The quality, of the, the quality is high. Like, why wouldn't it be something that these artists and people want to tap into? It's an untapped market that has a lot of potential for profit. I know. I agree. I think that's so cool. I mean, think about what Twitch has become. Yeah. So for those of you that know, Twitch is a platform that you can stream yourself playing video games on or really it's it's in my version the way i describe it to people is it's like a podcast while you're doing something so it's entertainment and podcast what makes you a great twitch streamer is you're good at the video game but also you're entertaining to listen to yeah and i mean that has taken the whole place by storm in just the last year as well twitch has blown up i mean guys like ninja tim the tap mine dr lupo all these gamers have just taken it over by storm and people are now more fascinated with watching people play video games than they actually are playing it which was the worst so, part growing up i'm uh, watching my brother play i had to wait my oh, turn that was the worst part Right, passing the sticks as a kid was the <laughs> worst thing ever. You want to just win and be like, "Oh yeah, you pass it." Yeah, right. But now people are are voluntarily would rather watch someone else play the video game than actually play it themselves. I know. I and so if that's where we're shifting to as a society, why not watch a concert instead of actually go? Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think it's a great point. You know, I you know for real though, I, I think there's never been, and I looked this up, an EDM artist on the halftime show ever, but. The oh, industry, the industry last year—I don't know what it is this year—but the industry last year, two years ago, was worth eight billion with a B dollars. Why would they not? Why would they not tap into that 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 market? I, I think a lot of it has to do with—I mean, even even myself—I love EDM. There's very few people like on my team that would be into EDM, and you got to think people that watch the watch the halftime show, listen to the pop radio stations. Right. I mean, yeah. and they listen to you've heard Adam Levine a thousand times. Mm -hmm. You've heard Justin Timberlake a thousand times. All of a sudden you're looking at a halftime show and Cascades up there performing and you're like, who's this guy? Yeah. Right. And like yeah. people obviously yeah. always knock on the fact like, well, don't they just sit up there and press a button? It's like, no, like they don't. They're up there mixing and creating music of music that they've already created. Right. And that's what I think is so cool. But I think that. In the future, it's probably not going to be anytime soon, but it's because of guys like Marshmallow and Tiesto and guys that are pushing the fold of the EDM world that there's going to be this shift to live performers are kind of like, mm, they sound better on the radio, to whereas EDM quality music doesn't sound any different on the radio than when someone performs it live. It's still great quality and like sounds very good. And I think that that's why you see the switch towards people are going towards live DJ performances instead of live concert performances because it's just different and it's fun and it's really what the new generation is listening to. 
you know, you, you, t- you touched on it. It's, it's, you have to paint a broad brush with fans and, and they're, you know, halftime. You know, not, Maroon 5 is not for everybody. Travis Scott is not for everybody. And neither is EDM. But I would settle for a halftime show of a more mainstream guy. Um, I'd like to see, I think I, I said it on Twitter, the Chainsmokers. I mean, I looked at their stats too. Their top three videos on YouTube alone have 5 billion streams. So it's right. so that it's not boring to casual fans. They could bring out, they do a song with Coldplay, something like this. Just like this. They do a song with Halsey. They do a song even with Tiesto. I think, and I like that. I always like the montage, not one single artist. I mean, I think that would capture the attention of, of a large chunk of people. Five billion streams? Come on. I agree. And if, if you look at, like, again, going back to the Marshmallow with the Fortnite, people were tweeting at him. He was retweeting, like, man, I've never even heard of this Marshmallow guy, but now I'm a fan. Yeah. Like, it really is just, it's the, oh, that's just noise. Like, no one likes hearing just noise. Like, it's not noise. But again, like, yes, yeah, someone mentioned the Chainsmoker is probably the most mainstream EDM, EDM group out there. Yeah. Um, no doubt about it, and it's they've been able to capture everyone's in love, and then they they've made a buku bucks with it. But yeah, it, it's gonna take something like that of just you got to think outside the box. But it's almost time for like a halftime show. I don't keep going back to that, but to think outside the box because I can't tell you the last time someone was like, "Wow, that was a good halftime show." Yeah. You know what I mean? Like because everyone's so worried about oh, we can please everyone like. I, I don't think the last good halftime show was probably Prince. And the only reason I say that is because I'm a fan of Prince. Like, there's probably people that absolutely hated that. Yeah. But, I mean, you might as well make a change. Why not let a guy like the Chainsmokers come out there or a, a guy in the music, a titan in the EDM industry like Tiesto? I mean, I think Avicii, I mean, yeah. uh, before he passed away, was another one of those guys that was pushing the fold. So I mean, it's just, it's tough to mix it. And then another thing is a lot of people, I hate to say it because a lot of people mix EDM culture with drug culture. Right. And it's not about that at all, but it's like anything. You look at something and people will always try and pair it with a negative. Right. And why there is, yes, people, but I mean, if you look back in the, the 60s, 70s, people were going to Dave Matthews, The Grateful Dead, The Who, I mean, just as much messed up as some of the people that go to these concerts. Right. And so it's not about that. It's more about the, the music and what it can represent. And really, like, EDM music so much known for, like, its culture for, like, family and bringing people together from all different backgrounds and right. bonding over the one common thing of music, which is what I love about it. Now, it, finally, uh, the final thought of the halftime show, if, if you could pick any EDM artist, knowing that, you know, it's a broad market, who would you pick? That's a tough one. Um, I, I think that to be safe, the safe pick, obviously, because the most well-known would be the Chainsmokers. Yeah. But I honestly think that within the next year, it would be Marshmello. Because he's going to be, again, he got voted number one DJ in the world this year. I don't think that's going to change. I think his popularity is just going to continue because he does things other DJs just don't do. 
he's getting more audiences. He's getting. I honestly think in 2020, I would not be surprised if there is some type of halftime show that he would be the first DJ to headline a big live show like that on a world scale yeah. of a live like halftime performance or at a big type. I mean NBA, MLB, something like that. Now you mentioned Avicii. Have you seen the documentary on Netflix yet? I thought it was very. Um, I haven't. My wife, my wife and I want to watch it. Uh, one of my buddies from Minnesota actually texted me and watched it and said, "Man, that is a really good documentary. Like you should watch that." So that's definitely something on my list to watch this off season. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I thought it was amazing. It was so. It's like a tra- It's like a story of a tragic hero. I, I don't know. I, I, I was. You just have to watch it to believe it, really. Yeah, I mean, the lifestyle that those guys live is yeah. crazy. I know, I, I mean, know. I, I'm, I'm very good friends with uh, one of the photographers of a DJ, and they were telling me, like, one year they were on they were on tour for, like, 265 days yeah. of that year. Like, it's just constant. The, the grind to get your name out as an artist is incredible. But, yeah, I mean, the lifestyle they live is tough. Well, on the documentary, too, that's interesting you brought that up, because on the documentary they show, like, day... 245 show you know whatever they com- they compare the number of days to the number of shows which is kind of astounding really and, and, and it's it not is. just in like you know this city to this city it's country to country it's continent to continent that these guys are traveling yeah and I, I think that's the other thing is EDM is so much more popular over in like Europe yeah like it is it is very popular over in Europe and so I think that that might be where you see the first maybe like an MLS game or something like a large scale over there might be where you see it first versus yeah. the U.S. All right, so what was your first show? Mine was Swedish House Mafia at Madison Square Garden. Oh, that's a great one. I, that is one that I am sad I will never get to see. Uh, my first live EDM show was actually – EDC Las Vegas 2014. Oh, come on, that's awesome too. Oh yeah, I mean, talk about talk about starting at the top. Yeah, um, I know. Definitely going to EDC Las Vegas. One of the first people I saw there was Avicii, mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorites. And then I just got to see so many artists that weekend. And then I ended up going back to to EDC Vegas in 15. And then I've gone to I went to Electric Forest in 16 and no, yeah, 16, 17, 18. I went to Electric Forest. Yeah, that's, that's so. Crazy. Now, have you ever like what? There was one guy that I, I had seen at he was at Hakkasan. Speaking of Vegas, Hakkasan in Vegas, and it was just such a disappointment. It was Calvin Harris. Have you ever seen anybody that was like just just disappointing for you, flat out? Um, above and beyond. Really? Was I saw them at my CDC in fifteen, I believe, and it just was kind of him. It was above and beyond at Eric Pritz are probably two of the most, like, disappointing, like, man, that was not what I was expecting. Yeah. Like, let down, so to speak, um, of performances. I was just like, man, I, I expected more from you. So top three DJ list, I'll give you mine, if you had to narrow it down. Number one for me, okay. number one for me, DJ Hardwell, obviously, for me, he's my favorite. Throws bangers. Two, Tiesto. Okay. Three, Alesso. What about you? Okay. Yep. So I'm gonna have to go with one marshmallow. Yeah. Uh, two Tiesto. Yep. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> that is. I'm gonna have to go with three. With Lewis the Child, actually. Ooh, I'm not familiar with him. Um, they're 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 newer to the scene. Um, and they've really recently just become three for me since I saw them at Electric Forest this past year. Uh-huh. Um. 
I love them. I think they're great. They're kind of a, a, a up sound. I saw them at X Games uh, two weeks ago. Um, they're really great. I, I really enjoy their sound. I enjoy their music. I enjoy the beats that they put together, and they're, they're new to the scene. But at the moment, if I had to name a top three, they'd definitely be up there for me. I'll check them out. All right, and if you don't mind, let's do a little football because absolutely, let's do it. I found that we have a connection. Sean Lissamore, who I went to middle school and high school with, was your teammate in San Diego. Well, yeah, San Diego yes. it was at the time. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So, Sean, that's just so funny how small, how small this world is, really. Right, isn't it? Yeah, Sean was a great guy. The Minnesota Miracle. Can you describe that from your perspective? Um. Yeah, so for me, I was – it was such a range of emotions. I, I cannot – the spectrum of which it was. We went from first round by getting the second, the second overall seed – kicking the crap out of the Saints up 17 nothing at halftime to all of a sudden we're staring utter defeat in the face. I mean, it's over. I mean, there's 10 seconds left, and you have that hope we can pull something out, but, I mean, you've been around this game long enough that that just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so I can remember standing on the sideline. I wasn't in, and they throw the ball, and I see Diggs catch it, and I'm immediately thinking, like, get out of bounds. Like, we got to kick the field goal. Like, I got to run out there for the field goal team. And then all of a sudden I was like, holy cow, where's the other safety? Like, oh, he fell down. Like, run. And just the pure, like, joy and jubilation that came from that. Like, I never wanted to leave the field. Like, if I could still be out there on that field celebrating the Minneapolis Miracle today, I'd still be out there. Like, it was just such a great feeling and such a fun, like, time with your brothers and your guys. And the, just the, the emotion of, oh, my gosh, we're going to home to, like, holy cow, we won. Yeah. I mean, it was just such a cool experience. It's something I'll remember for the rest of my life. Well, something that some a lot of Saints will remember, too, for the, the – the opposite reason, and then they get screwed yeah. over with the no call. In my opinion, this year, uh, that is two. That is two of the toughest ways to lose playoff games that I think I've ever seen. Consecutive, back to back, consecutive, back to back years. That is tough. And then to watch the Rams go and only score three points has mm-hmm. to be even tougher. Right? I know. I feel bad for the Saints. I really do. Yeah. I feel bad for them, but they still got Drew Brees. They'll be fine. <laughs> now let's talk a little bit about the Bills. You mentioned you're in the AFC East. You just inked, inked, inked a new re-up deal with the Buffalo Bills. Yep. Another year uh, to be back in Orchard Park. You know, you taking. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your versatility because you're taking snaps at guard, tackle. Con- concluded the season as a reserve center. It seems to me to be a trend across all professional sports. You see outfielders playing all the positions, things like that. What is the value of being so versatile, the ability to learn and play so many positions at uh, the top, the, the highest level? How does that help your stock? So for me, I learned at a very young age that, okay, um, there's only going to be nine to ten offensive linemen per team. So unless you are a solidified starter, and then, oh, by the way, they only dress seven of them on game day. Mm. So it's like, okay, if you're not a solidified starter at one spot, you better be able to play multiple positions. So at my rookie year, I started taking snaps and by myself. Like, I'm going to learn how to snap. I was like, I'm going to learn how to play guard. And I found a niche for myself that I made myself very valuable in the extent that I might not be the guy where I'm going to be your 16-game starter as much as I'm going to work my tail off to be that guy. But I'm going to be a guy that's going to be – I'm going to make it very hard for you to let me go because I will add value to this team. Mm. Like I will add value to this team being able to, hey, we only have to dress seven guys instead of eight because Searles can play all five. Right, right. Oh, oh, right. And like, oh, my gosh, our right guard went down. Okay, well, I know Searles is going to go in and I don't have to bat an eye at it. 
that. So that's just kind of how I've learned it and like how I've kind of went with it so that I, I create a spot for myself on a team. Now, I've, I've looked at some of the quarterbacks you've had the, uh, the you know, to protect. So you've had some top-notch talent behind you. And I, I looked, Absolutely. all of your quarterbacks were round one draft picks. So if we go through each of them, could you just tell me one thing you learned from them? And we'll start with Philip Rivers. I learned how to prepare. As a rookie, I learned how to prepare with Philip Rivers. Um, I learned how to, you're in at 515, grinding away, reading reading scouting reports, watching film, and you're staying late watching something that can give you an edge. Um, you move on to Teddy Bridgewater, right. and I learned how to grow through mistakes with him. I learned uh, as a young kid, and I was also a young kid, how we're going to make mistakes, but it's important how when you make those mistakes, you learn from them and you don't make them again. And then moving on, Sam Bradford, I mean, I I just learned how to fight through adversity with him. I mean, a a guy that got, he was a first-round pick, Heisman winner, and he goes to Philly and struggles, and then he comes to us and struggles, and we go 8-8, and and then um, Case Keenum was the guy that I was with that that wasn't a first-round pick, but played like one. And I just, I learned the resiliency from him. I learned how you just got to keep chipping away at it every single day, no matter what. And you just keep working and you just keep grinding and good things will come when you just keep going and working through it. And then I go to Josh Allen and I get to learn what it's like to look at a young kid from an older guy. Hmm. I get to, I get to, he's not necessarily teaching me anything, but I get to look through his eyes and I try and give him shots of advice of, Hey, I've played with these guys. This is what I've seen. And I'm not never going to tell you how to play this position, but Maybe I sat and watched film with them and be like, hey, this is what I see here. What do you see? And I just I, I get to see that fresh eye, the eagerness that comes from him. So I'd say those are probably the things that I've taken from all the quarterbacks that I've got a chance to play with. Now, is Philip Rivers yeah. a Hall of Famer, in your opinion? 100%. I mean, he's never won the big one, which yeah. is going to be the big knock on him. Right. But, I mean, he is just year after year, he's only getting better. I mean, he had, a, he had his best career year this year and led them to the divisional round. And, I mean, it's a tough way to go out. But, I mean, he just – he's a competitor. I mean, if you go all the way back to when he played an AFC championship game on a torn ACL. Yeah. I mean, wow. And he just – the things he can do, the, the, his vision of seeing everything, I think he's for sure a Hall of Fame type player. Now, for the Buffalo Bills fans, um, Josh Allen, his progression into year two. Uh, what, do you, what have you seen from him? What are you hoping to see from him? Yeah, I think seeing the way he grew up in front of all of us this year was awesome. Um, you never like to see anyone get hurt. You never like to see anyone miss any time, especially when it's your QB1. But I think him getting hurt and having a chance to take a step back and watch guys like Derek Anderson and Matt Barkley, who've kind of been in there, done that, watch how they learn, watch how they prepare, really showed him how to be a quarterback in the NFL. Um, it showed him what he needs to do, and then you saw it towards the end of the year. He was, instead of trying to force something in there with his big, strong arm, he was going to take off and run, or he'd throw it away. And Yes, there's still some young mistakes he made, but if, like I said with Teddy, if you can learn to grow from those mistakes, then you're just going to keep getting better and better. I think he's going to be very, very good as the years go on. Obviously, I'm in the New York Giants market. Um, the Giants have had some major issues at your position, offensive line, but I have to ask you just a couple a quick question about your former offensive coordinator with the Vikings, obviously Pat Shermer, who's the coach of the Giants now. Yep. Um, I guess I guess it's kind of twofold. Do you have any insight for Giants in, into Shermer's year two and or 
I mean, he's come under fire here for not exciting the players, not getting them to play for him, for not being creative enough in, in his offensive schemes. Could you speak to that just based on your experience having played under Pat Shermer? Yeah, um, I never had any of those problems with Shermer. I love Shermer. I thought he was a great offensive coordinator. Um, we wanted to play for him. I mean, he kind of got thrown into, hey, North Turner left, you're our OC, and we were able to do really good things with him, and it's because we believed in his system and he believed in us, and we were able to do great things with Sherm. Um, I've had I've had nothing. I think Sherm's going to be a great head coach. I really do. I think that he needed some time to establish his players. He needs some time to establish his system, and once he gets it established, I think the whole creativity thing is, it is what it is. I mean, if you have something that's proven to work at other places, it's going to work, especially when you got a guy like Saquon back there. You just hand him the ball 30 times, and he's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think that this year you're going to see a big jump because I can remember he took over for us about week eight of the 2016 season, and we had a good stretch there with growing pains, but we started figuring out there towards the end of the year, and then you look like what we did in 2000 and, uh, 2017, what we did with Sherm there, and going 13-3, and three, going to the NFC Championship. I mean, it, it takes time to establish an offense, but once you can get something established, then you'll really start getting more comfortable with it. And we'll close out <clears throat> with a, a tweet from you, and, and you tweeted it. It said, I, I, hard to believe I was playing the NFC Championship game just last year. Hope to be playing this weekend at one Bills drive next year, which is obviously, you know, uh, and at the championship uh, level. But I hate to break it to you, Jeremiah. Have you heard that the Bills just opened with the worst odds to win Super Bowl 54? I mean, we're talking 150 to 1. Hey, you know, you know <laughs> what? I have been doubted my entire life. I have been undrafted. I have made it. I have beaten most odds. So there's nothing saying that we can't beat those odds. And your message to Bills fans everywhere? Give us time. Give McDermott time, and the sky's the limit for us, man. We're going to continue to work. We're a young team. we got a ton of talent. We're only going to add to it in free agency in the draft, and uh, we're just going to keep grinding along.